Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 35 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Uh, for anybody who's brand new, that's on top of 150 episodes in the archive with uh, the old version of the podcast by a uh, good friend and former co-host Dean Guido. So it's uh, stacking up. I guess we're approaching 200 in the grand scheme of things. But um, you know, today I've got uh, a guest that I've been excited to have on for a while. I've been following Dr. Tim Francesco's work, and it's cool to actually get to talk to you for the first time. It's one of the cool things about this podcast. I get to selfishly grab someone for an hour and pick their brain and hang out and connect and everybody else just kind of gets to listen along. So, and I usually introduce myself at first, but uh, if you're again new, I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Uh, pleasure to have you guys on here. So uh, Tim, you are amongst other things, a doctor of physical therapy and you own your facility. Now you're down in, in Salem, Massachusetts. And that's, uh, if I want to make sure I get this right, it's uh, TD Athletes Edge. Yep. And uh, you also have the claim to fame to be the former head strength conditioning coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. So I know you probably get a lot of questions about it. So I don't want to do the whole like, oh, what's it like, you know, working with, you know, blah, 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 ex superstar. Forget that nonsense, right? I'm sure you get tons of that. But we know that a lot of trainers in the industry want to, they aspire to train athletes, right? Pro athletes, especially. And we know that the new trainer coming in, that's a pretty ambitious goal, right? So I want to th throw anything out there that you want with this, but what are some of the unglamorous realities that these trainers need to be prepared for? And what practical advice would you give trainers who are interested in working with athletes? Yeah, I, I think that the as you say, the unglamorous parts of it, um, you know, when you're talking about it, there's sort of two different um, avenues there. So there's the avenue of working with, um, you know, high performance athletes on, that are on roster and you are employed by that team. And then there's doing that, working with those same athletes, but from a private sector avenue. So, you know, from my experience in the, you know, working for a team uh, aspect of things, um, you know, the, the, there's a couple things I, I, as I've said to a lot of people, um, uh, just sort of debriefing on my experience as, um, the head strength and conditioning coach for, with the Lakers for six seasons. Um, it, you know, one of the things is the travel that you don't, you know, really sort of, it's hard to estimate, uh, ahead of time, uh, from that front. And, um, you know, I think that with that, it's, I, I really, the best way I describe that is, and I tip my cap to the athletes doing it because um, just as a support staff member, obviously your role is hugely valuable, but you know, you're not expected to go out there and play 48 minutes um, the next night on the floor. So um, that travel aspect is, is, is not always as glamorous as, as it sounds, especially in, a, in basketball, where in a normal NBA season, you are into a city uh, just enough time to put your bag down, not necessarily to unpack it and it's time to move on from there. So it's not, it's like, you know, I think a lot of people think it's like, yeah, but that's gotta be awesome. You go to these great cities and get to experience them. And not really, you, you, you have enough time to get to the hotel, put your bags down, figure out who needs what, get them what they need, go to the game and get on a plane and go to another one. And so there's that aspect from the, uh, you know, from the working, the, the, you know, working with the athletes standpoint, I mean, depending on the league, depending on the um, organization you're with, but especially depending on the league you're in, um, you've got guaranteed contracts. You've got 19, 20, 21 year old kids that you're working with who have guaranteed huge contracts. 
it's not always the first thing on the top of their mind to say, you know, I better make sure I get my lifting session in for the day. And so, you know, I think people would be surprised. Look, the locker room is going to be like society. It's going to be split up into a group of 30% of the locker room is going to be true craftsmen, people who want to get every drop out of what they do and be their best all the time. You're not going to have to babysit those people. You're going to have 30% of the people that are going to be do, you know, what it takes just at the level of I'm, I'm doing everything that's asked of me, not more. And you're going to have 30% who are, you know, just doing it to keep you off of their case, but they're going to probably do a little under what's expected and you got to go find them once in a while. You're going to have 10% who really don't care and are not interested in doing any of what it takes. They are just, you know, kind of skating by and, and, and getting their paychecks and, and that kind of thing. And so, um, there's that part that's not as glamorous, which is, I think a lot of people think that a hundred percent of the locker room of the roster are just clamoring at the door to get everything they could out of the weight room and go from there. So, you know, you're, you're doing a little babysitting. There's some imagery we'll often see in the industry and I'll give you some examples that you'll obviously know about. So you're, you, what you just described was from the working for the team aspect. And we'll also get a lot of stuff from a guy like Brett Bartholomew, who talks extensively about managing the different personalities in the room. Yep. His book, Conscious Coaching, is a really good example of that. But then we've got uh, Ben Bruno's maybe the highest profile example of this, who's working with Clay Thompson and other members, I think, of the Golden State Warriors. And yeah. Ben fell into these connections. Um Another one is my friend, Sam Pogue, who I guess you probably know. Everybody knows Sam. Sam's yeah. Like super network guy working with Jake Arietta for a long time in the industry. And I mean, I've had for a few years, a young WHL hockey player. I mean, up in Edmonton, Alberta, I haven't been in a position where I've gotten exposed to a lot of, you know, high level athletes that I, I trained some young athletes and that's about it. But that was through, I used to train his, you know, his ex uh, stepmom. And then I trained his dad. And then when he was 16 years old, his dad brought him to me right? working with him. And, and me and Blake are really good pals, right? He's 18 now. And then, you know, some other, uh, another WHL kid and his dad, they came to me and you end up with these relationships more based on your personal professional network through people who just happen to be high level athletes. And yeah, mistaken, I think Ben, you know, he certainly has got a reputation, uh, Ben Bruno, for working with high level people. Fuck, he's training Justin Timberlake and Justin right, Timberlake. right, right. So I think that's also coming from personal connections. And then Sam Pogue will tell the story about how he just met Jake Arietta and just formed a relationship with him. So I think these examples are kind of luck. You have to put yourself in a position to be skilled and reputable to handle everyday people and high performance athletes. But sometimes it's just falling into it, especially on the, when you're the guy hired by the athlete who's serious, any thoughts to yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you have to be in the right place at the right time, but doing the right stuff. And so I, I think that <clears throat> there's no doubt about it that um, things have to align just right for you to, you know, have the opportunity to connect into, um, you know, being, um, being there to step into one of those roles with one of those athletes. Um, you know, I, I think that you put yourself in a position to fall into that luck in some ways, um, as your, you know, decisions you make choices, you make, uh, levels of effort you put out toward things and, um, and that kind of thing. So, um, I think it's a combination. Um, but, 
you know, the other part of it is, is I, I tell people all the time, entry level people in the field is like, stop worrying about who might be the beacon or the flagship person of your roster of trainees um, that, you know, would have bragging rights behind their name um, before you ever get step, you know, foot into an opportunity like that you better have a big, long track record of being really credible and reputable with, you know, high school athletes, with, you know, uh, middle school athletes, with college athletes that are playing Division Three, who nobody, you know, will ever see or hear from from a, a sports standpoint. Um, and if you if your goal is to be in and around and training those people, just go, go train for free as many high school, college, or middle school athletes as you can find in your area. It's like, how do you get started? How do you get your foot in the door? Well, you, first of all, you just better start be, you know, being known for training athletes. And, um, you know, I think that what I've found is if you're putting maximum effort into something that you really enjoy doing, um, good, good things follow. Um, and, and, uh, and that luck starts to happen more often. So, um, you know, I, you, but you, you have to create it. It's like, you know, people aren't just going to know the universe isn't going to know that you are sitting on your couch and saying like, I really want to train athletes, go train athletes, whatever it takes, go, go, go tell them, uh, go, go up to a bunch of coaches in your area and say, Hey, could I come and do dynamic warmups for your players before practice? I mean, anything you know, to, to get your foot into that door. And eventually what happens, you do that for, you know, a year, two years, three years, all of a sudden you've collected all these people and people start asking you, Hey, do you do side stuff? Do you do what outside of, I love the warmups you're doing with our team. Like, can you train me outside of here? All of a sudden, blah, blah, blah. And then you get connected in these athlete circles and you know, good things happen. So you obviously worked for the Lakers for six years and now you have your own facility and it feels like maybe that was a progression. Uh, you know, does that allow you obviously to get off the road? You're the one who calls the shots. I've lost video on you, so I'm just going to make sure I still have you. Sorry, guys. Looks like I've lost him for a second here. Let's see if we get him back. Gotcha. Hey. Sorry about that. All good. Won't even worry about editing that out. No, that's not going to be a big deal. So what I was getting <laughs> at is you, yeah, like I keep this pretty low key, right? Low maintenance. So you now have your own facility. You go home to yep. your family every evening instead of traveling on the road with the team. Was that a natural progression you envisioned or is that just something that you had to pivot to? And, you know, any expanded thoughts on that career progression? That was always, um, that was always option A for me. That was, um, that's, that's always been the vision. Um, the Lakers actually happened more by accident than anything else. And so, um, back to your prior question is, you, you know, the, the Lakers thing, um, you know, TD athletes edge and, and what I get to play out on a, on a daily basis within that vision. And as I say, I get to play in my sandbox every day. Um, you know, that has been something that I've, um, been sort of, you know, chipping away at and chiseling into form for, for as long as I can really remember. And so along the way, I had an opportunity to go out and be the head strength and conditioning coach and athletic trainer with the Bakersfield jam in the, in the NBA, um, D league at the time. Now the G league, uh, where basically I took a 
uh, $60,000 pay cut off of my PT clinic PT job and a flyer on an opportunity from uh, my former high school basketball coach to uh, go and, and be the, um, the head strength coach and, and, and athletic trainer with the team in the, in the D league. But again, I took that job because I felt like it brought credibility to what I was trying to build within TD athletes edge. So I get out there, I'm doing my thing. A couple of Lakers players get sent down as, as players do in the NBA to get some extra development and th- good things happen. They had a great experience. They had a trainer with the Lakers likes what happened and is, is starting to kind of try to understand my background a little better. And suddenly at the same time has a uh, opening for a head strength conditioning coach position for the Lakers. And so Gary Vitti at the time, the head athletic trainer who is legendary, went was the Lakers head athletic trainer for 28 years and went to 12 finals, has eight rings, calls and says, hey, I'm looking for a guy that knows PT but wants to be a strength coach. And it sounds like that could be you. Um, you know, what do you think? And I, you know, obviously say I can start yesterday and um, off we went. But for me, the um, – really the Lakers thing was the pivot and, and, and the pause, the brief pause that I took to be really actively building the TD athletes edge vision and dream. And, um, you know, I didn't know exactly when I first took the Lakers job, how that was all going to play out because it's kind of one of those pinnacle positions. And you say, well, I don't know, is this going to mean a pause for good at TD athletes edge? Or is this going to be, you know, cause I had started it before that came about and um, you know, really, after about two to three years within the Lakers position, I kind of knew it's like, okay, this is not, it's real. Like if I'm, if I'm the head strength coach of the Lakers and I'm still sort of getting that inkling and that burning desire to build out what I want to play out with TD athletes edge, then you kind of know that's really the thing that gives you goosebumps. And so it's going to be a time, there's going to be a time where it comes to get back to that. And, and, you know, six years in had opportunity to, either stay or, or, or move on from the Lakers strength coach position when the new management took over was grateful to have the opportunity. Sometimes people don't even get that opportunity in those instances, but to, to either stay or go, it's sometimes not the, your, your choice. Um, but really kind of wanted to be fair to me, fair to them and say, look, my heart is where my heart is. Um, I've got stuff I want to do with TD athletes edge, and this is a good time for me to break away. So, um, so really it was the pivot was the Lakers and the, the, uh, the, the piece that's always been a constant for me is, you know, really bring the most, getting the most out of the, the vision I see with TD athletes edge. And you're obviously in the same space as a lot of other, these reputable, you know, legendary fitness facilities in the new England area. You know, we talked about, uh, Cressy Sports Performance, yeah, and uh, you know Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, yeah, at, at the very least, right? So, and those guys especially have had high-level athletes coming to them, working on, you know, the on, on Cressy's terms, on yeah, terms, and so you're doing the same sort of thing. So now it's not like you're cutting off the relationship with anybody in that world. You can just say, listen, you know, this is where I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do, and you can work with. You get to cherry pick the people are the most serious and the up and coming yeah. athletes who really give a shit the most, yeah. you got to cut off the top. The, that percentage are the ones who are just going through the motions or really just don't want to be there. Right. So it actually sounds kind of like a perfect deal. I mean, you get Cressy turn around and get hired by the New York Yankees anyway, but yeah, I'm sure that was probably far more on his terms than 
you know, absolutely usually is the case, right? Given his reputation as having both the NL and the AL Cy Young Award winner, I think it was 2017 with Kluber. Right. Right. You know, you, you get to call your shots in a situation like that, but that's the exception. No doubt. So I, I don't know if like, there's any other additional thoughts about that. Particular yeah. I, you know, I, I think that from my end, here, here's, here's how I look at it is, um, you know, we have the word athlete in our name. Um, we're certainly, you know, we have, uh, you know, uh, we have like, for instance, we have Calvin Cater, who's one of the, um, the, the top um, featherweights in the UFC right now. We have, we have some great athletes that we're working with in-house, um, you know, all from time to time, like you said, you know, pick my spots and, and go out and work with people that maybe aren't getting to Salem, Massachusetts, that kind of thing. But like, at, I, I, and I can say this because I, I've done both of them and it's, it's absolutely true is I get the same level of satisfaction, whether I am working with Kobe Bryant or whether I am working with, you know, Kevin from UPS and, you know, he's got a bum knee and it's, it's interrupting his job, his ability to do his job. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I don't know that I could have said that uh, and known it before I took the Lakers job because I hadn't played out the sort of high profile end of that equation, but I have now and um, it doesn't feel any different for me. Um, it, I, I do think that some people take those positions for the logo on the polo shirt, so to speak. I never did. And so for me, it's, you know, we're, we're here to help, like you said, those people that are really invested in getting into the nuanced aspect of how to do things the right way from a return to play or a become a monster standpoint. <laughs> and, you, you know, those people will find us and, or, you know, we will be there for those people. Um, and it is the scenario where, um, there's a, there's a, it's a lot different feel when your entire membership is built on those people um, versus that locker room scenario where you got 30, 30, 30, and 10, that is, you know, sort of defining their, their investment to the process. There's another thought embedded in all this stuff too. That's worth mentioning is how in some of the examples I explained, we often highlight on our media our quote stars, our athletes, our high profile people. And that can inadvertently leave the impression that either we don't work with or care as much about our everyday people or actually could leave the everyday people feeling like, well, all they really care about is their stars. And I've seen this play out. Now, you know, in the case of Sam Pogue, Sam doesn't work with a lot of people. He's just had a longstanding relationship with Jake Arrieta. That's a little different. Yeah, And I think with... Ben Bruno, I mean, he, he trains a lot of high profile people. There's also the aspect that most of our clientele probably don't necessarily want to be put on social media on display, especially if you've got a larger following. Yeah. My clients, I probably have, you know, upwards of 40 clients semi-active who, you know, that most of them are kind of private. I have one guy, it's my seven-year-old Larry, who everybody is in love with. He's really strong. And I put him up all the time, but he's a little bit gay and everybody loves him. And, you know, I always let the other clients know, Hey guys, like I'd love to showcase your highlights and and whatever too. But most of them are kind of like, no, you know, I I feel, I never pressure them because I never want them like they have to go on my media and they're very happy just privately, quietly doing their own thing. But Larry, I don't, he, he likes it. He enjoys it, but I don't give him a choice. 
if he's going to like do right single max deadlift or whatever it's going he's five foot four and he's sturdy as hell so he could actually do that. right and it inspires people and they love it so there is that walking a fine line between yeah not necessarily making everybody feel like what we really care about is just this one star person and i i certainly won't say the names but i've seen it where media really seems like you know a facility owner or a trainer just seems to only give a shit about this one star person. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, um, it, you know, there, there's a fine, you just have to KYP, you, you know, as you, as you talked about, I, I summarize it into know your personnel. You, you know, I think there are some um, people that you'll work with who, um, boy, it would mean the world for them. They would, you know, really get a kick out of it. If, if, if you felt like, Hey, what you're doing right now is something that you'd like to highlight to the rest of people watching and, and things like that. I think there's a majority of, of sort of that um, private sector gen pop um, audience who is really not, um, they prefer not to be kind of um, showcased. They're not going to the gym. Um, you know, if anything, they're going to the gym and it's, it's kind of their time to do their thing and, and not be, um, you know, in, in a different um, medium of things. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that it is a fine line. Um, a lot of times I like to let the even on the pro side of, um, you know, members that I work with, it's like I, I like to let them say, hey, let's get a pick after this or let's, you know, you know, that kind of thing. And then once they break the ice with it, then it's like, OK, this is clearly something that they're pretty comfortable with, because sometimes even asking is like, you know, it can if, if you do it too early, too much, too soon with a person, it's like, OK, what's this guy's agenda, you know, here and. So it's a, it's a tricky thing. I always like it for, to come from them the first time around. And then, um, you know, there's also a generational thing that you brought up too, which is, you know, most of the, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds are, are dying to get, get up on the IG story somewhere with a mention and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, KYP. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I sort of lost my train of thought there for a second. I'm trying to bring it back a bit. But what I'll do is I'll pivot on to the next thing that actually is related to this anyway. And it's, you know, a couple of your articles that you've had up on your on your social media that you've written for uh, your business. Uh, let's see. One was on resistance training and age proofing your body. And another one was on cognitive benefits of resistance training. Yeah. So, and I actually ha have a lot of social media posts that hit on these notes, too. And sort of the thought that I have is and, and this will open up. This is nuanced. I mean, are we actually just talking into an echo chamber of the people who already share these beliefs and ideas anyway? Are we actually making an impact? Are we reaching the people that need to get these messages? And, you know, how can we, any trainer who's, who's out there trying to do this, get this message into the hands of the people who need it most? So I think that I, I would, I would uh, hypothesize that 80% of, of most people, um, you know, working with a, uh, a coach, a trainer and, uh, in the, or even going to the gym are really thinking about, you know, this is healthy for me. It's good for my heart. It's good for my muscles. Um, doc said, break a sweat three times a week. 
you know, I, I want to do it with a really reputable person. I want to do it with a person that has a good background, who I, the environment I enjoy in. So that's why I show up to the place I show up. I, I think there's, you know, there's that much room for kind of education into, yeah, but there's so much more you're getting out of this. Um, and, you know, I think with, with that end, it's um, one of the things that makes a great, a, a great coach. Um, there's a lot of good coaches, a great coaches. They have an ability to uh, help their, the, their trainees understand the, the why behind the, 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 the process, you know, it's not good enough to say, well, trust me, trust the process, right? I mean, there needs to be buy-in. They need to trust the process, but in order for them to trust the process, they have to understand the, the, the methods and, and then why these methods are so, uh, you know, what, what all the value can be from these methods before they just sort of blindly say, okay, I trust you, I'll do that bear crawl. And it seems ridiculous, but I have no idea why you're making me do this. And uh, it's a lot easier for somebody to be very, very invested and get more out of what they're doing when it's like, I know exactly what I'm getting out of this. Um, there's tons of benefits to this. You know, if somebody says, well, yeah, the bear crawl is hard as fuck. And so I feel, you know, shred, I feel just like, you know, I, I, you know, if you have somebody who likes to feel like they they go through the meat grinder on an exercise, well, you know, that might be good enough for that person, but that's not everybody. And it, you, for some people, it might be helpful to explain to them I actually went through this with one of um, our members just the other day is like, you know, Hey, look, don't underestimate what's going on here on an exercise like the bear crawl where, you know, think about it. We don't do a lot of, from the moment we can walk, we don't do a lot of weight bearing through our upper body. So think about how healthy this is for our long bones of our, of our upper extremities, for our shoulder girdles, for all this stuff that's happening. Don't forget like, yeah, you're, you're gassed when you're done with that 40 yard bear crawl, but you know, think about all the benefit to the bones, the tendons, the ligaments that just happened right there. So to your point of those articles that, you know, I, I put out in the, the commentary, you put out uh, regularly on the idea of like cognitive benefits, stuff like that. I think it's just all the more kind of fodder for that, those, those people that are, um, they know it's good for them. They know for sure it's good for them. They know they're probably doing something good for their muscles. Um, you know, maybe, you know, burning the calories more is important for some, you know, break the sweat, you know, feel the burn. But if we stop and at that and, and assume that they know all the nuances that we know uh, of this, then I think that you underserve your own credibility and your ability to get them truly invested and, and help them to get the most out of it when they understand you know, how all that works. It's like this whole new world of like why this is such a big part of their life and why they want it to get done. I honestly find that one of the best ways to kind of, to the latter part of your question, one of the best ways to get folks to really grasp this is to begin conversations about, you know, what are happening in the 23 hours outside of this session with me because two things happen right there. First shows you care about them beyond the hour that they scheduled with you. Uh, second, you know, it starts to get them to link how performance is happening and how they're feeling in those 24 hours, three hours that they're not with you to what, you know, to the process, you know, and, and, and it becomes this much more comprehensive, really connected process versus, 
yeah, three times a week for an hour, I do the thing with Andrew and it's awesome. And I feel really taxed after it. And then I go back to my business, but you know, outside of that, you know, I, I don't know what the connection is. I think an important thing that tax onto that is we have to be patient with like, we want to change the world. I know we all want to change the world, right? We have to be patient and it's one person at a time. You serve the person in front of you with world-class care, experience, knowledge. And then my hope is that that person is talking about it with the people in their life. I mean, this is, this is the referral yeah, yeah. that we're all trying to build anyway, right? And it yeah. serves that purpose. If we can get someone's, you know, a, a good example in my world is my client, Teresa. So Teresa has been with me for 10 years. I started with her son's best friend, who is still a good friend of mine this day. And then... Uh, that, his name is Kyle. And then Kyle sent me Teresa's son, Ryan. And then Ryan brought me Teresa's other son, Corey, Ryan's brother. And then Teresa yep. trained with me. Now, Teresa has been nonstop. And the various people through this network have ha been with me for long periods of time. Teresa's son, Ryan, is still one of my closest friends. He moved away. Uh, and then I got their dad. And then I got a dad's coworker. And then I got the original yeah. Kyle's coworker. And then all of a sudden, two of Teresa's sister-in-laws and one of the nieces and uh, another niece and the niece's boyfriend and a family friend and other friends. And it's added up to over 20 people across 10 plus years. And part of it's because Teresa is such a living example of strength and success and energy. And she's a real maven and advocate for this whole process yeah. that she's almost single-handedly turned her entire family and friend network onto a more active lifestyle. And there's that benefit. It doesn't always work like that, but the hope is on the aggregate through all the people we work with, A, our reputation name gets out there and keeps us busy, but we're having a cascading influence on more and more people all the time. And if you magnify that across every credible, talented trainer, caring trainer across our entire network, everybody who follows my social media, follows your social media, everyone who does one of Dean Somerset's courses or is plugging into Mike Isertel's work with Renaissance Periodization or... And, and you take that across the entire industry. I'm hoping that the magnifying effect of all that reaches more and more and more people so that we have a greater number of the population who are understanding the benefits of all this, experiencing it, and sharing it with other people. Well, and think about it because, I mean, it's a huge responsibility. I think that, you know, the more people we have who carry this hammer um, of, strength and conditioning of uh fitness exercise and prescription of it who understand the gravity of it the better because it, it's you know to me and i say this as a doctor of physical therapy there's i look at it two ways there's active strategies toward health there's passive strategies towards health health and and rehab and and, and recovery so you know i the, the passive strategies are necessary at, at points where you need some manual therapy where you need you know different uh more um you know stretch type action where it's not involving a muscle contraction as much and that kind of thing but the active strategies namely load bearing, lifting heavy stuff, moving heavy things the right way, learning to move your body better, that kind of thing are the tried and true. Those are the things that are, if you just lay the evidence on the table, you can't argue it in terms of what this does for our, the, the 
you know, from a carpenter standpoint of the body, it's, you know, the, the, the support structures, the bones, tendons, ligaments, the soft tissue muscles as well. And, and things like that, the, but then the software aspect of our body, um, you know, as we talked about the cognitive benefits of all this, you know, these are the things, this is the hammer that does that. And it's, it's, it's why early on in my career as a dual and, and, you know, um, try, try certified, you know, individual as, you know, coming up through, I was certified athletic trainer. I was doctor of physical therapy, CSCS. And so, you know, that's why I was more than happy. I was not only more than happy. It was the only place I felt comfortable was to be looked at as a prescriber of strength prescriber of how to get strong prescriber of exercise much more than I wanted to be looked at as a athletic trainer, a strength coach, or a physical therapist. Are there any thoughts and I'll open it up just any broad thoughts about scope of practice in the industry where you have all of those qualifications and how you have trainers who are probably, we know that there's graying of the lines between physical therapy and personal training. It just, you have a lot of people, educators who are, of physical therapy backgrounds. My friend, Sam Spinelli is a great example. Your example, Dr. John Russin. uh, And there are others who are teaching trainers movement, right? Yeah. Uh, You have, you know, Gray Cook's book movement and and just up and down, Bill Hartman, you name it. There's just so many people out there who are educating the fitness industry. Any thoughts on the blurring of those lines or anything constructive about that? I'll just leave it wide open to you. Yeah, I mean, I, look, the way that I look at it is there's a lot more that I learned anyways on how to prescribe exercise from any of my self-driven education background or, you know, curriculum-based backgrounds in the areas of strength and conditioning um, and exercise physiology, um, kinesiology, those areas, then I did from the what tends to be often at least when i was coming through the curriculum now this is seeming to change a little bit within curriculum of uh, physical therapy um uh curriculums but there those tended to be at least you know from my experience more focused on the passive uh application of of treatment and so you you know i think that it's, you know, you definitely, the, the, the part where it's, it's, it's important to realize is, look, let's not get caught up as long as we're not doing, going, you know, against the law, so to speak, of what is, you know, this outside the scope of, you know, if you're not a licensed physical therapist, physical therapist, and you're doing manipulations on somebody, well, you know, obviously now we're, we're into something far different, but when it comes to prescribing exercise, I think the important part is um, you don't have to be a physical therapist to do that at a high level. And you don't have to be a strength and conditioning coach to do that at a high level. You have to understand though, how to, you know, speak both of those sides of the coin. You have to have, be able to have a, a conversation with experts in each of those areas. And however you, you developed that, that literacy in, in that, 
it, it doesn't have to mean you have to be a licensed physical therapist to do that by any means. And, and most of the time, I don't even find that that's a huge advantage, um, you know? And so I, I think it's just, I look at it very simply is there's a big, long spectrum of, uh, you know, nobody, nobody that you're ever going to work with from a, a personal training standpoint, from a, uh, a strength and conditioning standpoint, um, you know, that, that, that end of things is ever going to be driving around with a brand new car off the lot, unless you work with infants. So, you know, you better be able to understand what happens when pathology is involved. Um, and know when and where it's beyond your understanding and or scope of expertise and, and then shorten the, you know, or I guess you could look at it as expand out over time, your understanding of what happens when that comes into the equation of, okay, I'm, my knee hurts. What do I do? You know, because that's going to come up daily in a, in a, in a busy training facility, you know, and, 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 um, you know, to say we have to stop the trains and send that person to a physical therapist is ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, and and why why shouldn't we all, licensed physical therapist or certified strength and conditioning coach, one, the other, both? Why shouldn't we all be uh, able to hit that moment, be relatively on the same page? And at the end of the day, the whole point is to help the end user get through that instance. Um, you know, and I think the biggest thing is if you're not a licensed physical therapist, just know when hands-on manual-based therapy or evaluation skills that maybe aren't in your toolbox at this stage are needed for the situation. A couple of thoughts that I always like to throw there. First of all, if I'm going to refer my clients out to um, physiotherapists, I want to have someone who's really skilled or knowledgeable in strength and conditioning. I've got a couple of guys local, Darren Bishop is one. And uh, Dr. Jason Dick, I've sent a lot of my clients to these two guys and they're fantastic at it. I've got a few others, but uh, these guys really know that end of things and they, ha they can handle it. Now there are going to be physical therapists who are specialized in pelvic floor health and other things. And so, yeah, if, if it's a different area, fine. Um, but that's, that's really important to me. I think I value the physical therapy community that sees the value in educating the the population, the, the personal training population, because I found that that world has been pretty good about embracing general fitness and personal training as a means to collaborate and educate. While we do see some registered dietitians who are pretty good about getting into the fitness industry and seeing it collaboratively, I find on average more times the registered dietitian community, again, not everybody, but on average, they tend to view personal trainers in a more antagonistic light. And I think it's to their own detriment, which has made them less accessible to the general population. The ones yeah. who are clever enough to do this have benefited from it because there's a lot of room to educate trainers on nutrition. Yeah. So I find that physical therapists on average have been a little bit better as a community in seeing the positives in having a relationship with uh, the personal training industry. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can say this though, I, to tag on to that. I think you're right. I also think that, although there's some that have taken the time to really understand exercise prescription at a higher level than I believe PT school and, and curriculum gives you, I, I don't think PTs tend to be overall awesome at, at exercise prescription. And when I, when I say that, 
I think PTs are typically good at concocting or coming up with and, and, you know, creating new exercises that might, or positions that might help in that acute phase of rehab. But where I find PTs to be deficient often and the great PTs know this and they say, I have a great strength coach. I have a great trainer who knows way more about what to do next than I do. And I admit this just as that same trainer better be saying, look, if you came to me on day one of this acute knee uh, injury that you suffered on the field and you have a, you know, you're laying there with a torn ACL and, and, and LCL, I'm not the guy or, or gal to help you with this. You got to go to my PT who's awesome. They're going to get you your ta- the table set for you and, and go from there. Um, you know, it's, it's just not what is really in the background or the, the curriculum I find of, you know, when it's time to return to play, so to speak. And I use that term very loosely. It can really mean anything. It does not have to have anything to do with a rostered sport. Um, that's the moment where I think a lot of PTs struggle. The great PTs that I know admit that and they have a great strength coach or trainer that they refer to at that moment. I think another thing I have to be aware of, what, even when I say this stuff, is the examples we've been using yourself, Sam Spinelli, John Russ, and you guys are have all those qualifications. You are doing <laughs> coach and yeah. therapist. In fact, John Russell has been on the podcast saying that despite the fact he has his doctorate in physical therapy, he's never practiced as a PT. He's only right. practiced as a strength coach. And Sam Spinelli is certainly and a very, very skilled and experienced strength coach, right? Yep. So... I mean, it makes sense that they're in this, you know, personal training space, the fitness industry as educators. And I think that maybe that's a bit more of that smart ambition that those people like yourself have jumped onto. Whereas I think we have a little bit more of a divide between the RDs and the PTs. Well, that's a really good point. And, um, and yeah, not one that I really have a lot of insight into why that divide has happened so much. Uh, but I, I agree. There's much uh, less productive turf war going on there. I, I liken it to this. I see that and again, I don't want to speak in generalizations, but we know that a lot of the RD community has this antagonistic view feeling that personal trainers are encroaching on their space with doing nutrition with clients. And guess what? A lot of that still is within personal training scope of practice, depending on your right, right. Florida. Yeah, sure. Don't touch it. But you know, here it often is as simple as, you know, don't prescribe nutrition to treat disease, uh, right. Deal directly with eating disorders and don't give meal plans. Now we know a lot of people, in the bodybuilding community with no fucking credentials are still giving you know, meal plans, right? That's yeah, not, yeah. I don't complain about them as pointless, not even going to do it. Yeah. But I think it's kind of like the music industry when streaming started, Napster came around and they almost, the music industry got crushed and eradicated by and large because they were de- deliberate on doubling down on maintaining the status quo of their business versus embracing the changes that were coming. And they spent yep. more time fighting the downloaders in the courts, trying to sue them, than they were about looking at opportunities. How can we change this business model? It's blockbuster digging in its heels while Netflix cut them off at the knees, that sort of thing, right? Right, right. And I think the, the wiser ones, and again, there are a lot of RDs who work in clinical settings, and that's a little bit different. But I think 
some of the really forward thinking ones see, okay, the greatest access to opportunity is through general fitness. And who is that? The fitness industry. Right. Ah, I hear kids in the background. <laughs> They're home. How was soccer? Awesome. <laughs> I don't want to keep you too much longer. No, we're good. We're good. Yeah, we're keep good. cruising. Whatever, whatever you got. So I've got one more thing I was going to throw at you, and this would be a bit general. Let's go. Gives you a chance to unload. But do you have any practical wisdom? You know, perhaps something that's not always discussed or perhaps a little unconventional you feel would help a fitness career. Uh, and in particular, we get a lot of trainers who are doing this and we know that maybe they're at risk of being transient and then moving on to something else. You know, I'm thinking, do we have any, you know, anything that helps people make this their long-term career and thrive? Yeah. So, you know, I think the, well, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of places I could go with this, but it, it's very, very important to, uh, I'll, I'll give something a little more um, able to put a fork and knife into in a second, but I do think the most critical piece here is your ability to um, be enjoyable, to be around, to relate to people that that's going to make you have this be a long-term, have the ability if you want to, if you choose to make this long-term it's going to end things real quickly. If, if, you know, you're more worried about your sharpening your programming skills than you are your people skills. And so, you know, I think that that's, um, uh, a friend of mine and stay tuned. I, this product is, uh, this, this book is, is just coming out. Um, Jesse Wright, who was the, uh, strength coach, uh, and, and performance, um, specialist for many years with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers is coming out with a great, um, uh, a great resource and book on the soft skills. And so, um, it, you know, really pay attention to this, but, um, that, uh, is to me, one of the huge underpinning common denominators of, of anybody who ends up making a long-term go at this. Uh, I, I also think that you need to early on be, begin a filtering process of creating your methodology. So in years one, two, three, no big deal. If you, you shouldn't have your methodology figured out at the time, but you better be starting to think about what the filter is that's gonna create your methodology. And it's easy to get 10 years into the process and be like, wow, I mean, somebody stops you dead in your tracks and says, what's your philosophy? How, how, what are your methods of, of coming up with a program? Like, uh, I don't know. I kind of just like, I just figure it out. Like, I, I mean, I, I get people to feel the burn and, and, you know, break the sweat and, you know, there better be more to it than that. Um, from a results standpoint, from a uh, credibility standpoint, um, but also from an efficiency standpoint, this is a, a this can be a, a grinder of a profession. If you don't have a, a system to follow, a methodology to follow, and and something that you go by, you know that's hard to continue to sort of reinvent your wheel every time. And and yeah, there you go, exactly. I was going to use this as an example. I just held up uh, Alan Cosgrove and Frank Rasmussen's uh, Secrets of Successful Program Design, which I think is yeah. a great book, and. What, as you were saying that, you know, I had to think for a second. I'm like, I've never written in a formulaic, comprehensive manner my 
you know, my framework, the way you described, but it's very, very firm in my mind as to how I approach everything. I actually start every person that I work with, regardless if they're an athlete, weight loss client, um, you know, dealing with injuries, you name it, trying to get, trying to put on muscle from a foundation of strength. So that way they're getting stronger. And then you apply that out to what their goals are. If it's weight loss or muscle building, you also layer in nutrition, but it goes to your first point. It's developing such a great relationship with a person that they have consistency so that they are either with you or love the experience long-term. And those are really core pieces of my fundamental philosophy. So if you're listening and thinking, well, shoot, I've never written this down. Guess what? You don't have to, as long as it's pretty firm in your identity as a, as a, as a trainer, the book I just mentioned, if you're, especially if you're within the first few years of your career, I'm enjoying it and I'm, I'm on year 11. Yeah. That's a fucking good book. There's a lot of good shit in that book. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And I, I I think that, you know, what one uh, I've had to do this because I have, um, you know, currently we're, we're up to six full-time coaches on our staff. And so, you know, we need to, we need to prescribe our methodology seamlessly or else we may as well just be a bunch of independent contractors. We're, we're not a, we're not a team. And so, one exercise you can do is even if you don't have um, a team that you're managing or that you're in charge of or that you're working on uh, amongst, ask yourself, if, if tomorrow I had to hire somebody and I wanted them to train this the way that I train so that it comes across seamlessly, could I describe that to them? Could I take them through um, my methodology? Uh, you know, and is it, can I articulate that? Um, because when you make yourself do that, you actually solidify points that you knew, but, you know, maybe never really kind of really cemented in your, um, in your thought processes. You just are, have been doing it on autopilot for so long. You never even think about it. Um, you, you also uncover avenues that you never even realized. And, um, it could be a really powerful exercise. Uh, and, and I think, by year three, you should definitely be able to uh, execute that exercise, uh, whether you're trying to build a team of seamless exercise prescribers, as we could call them, um, or, or it's just going to be you in a solo gig. Either way, you should be able to articulate that. That's brilliant. I actually never heard anybody in 185 episodes bring up that particular point. By the way, everyone, if you hear a little hammering and, and stuff going on, I'm having some rentals done in my house. One of my best friends is doing uh, <laughs> putting in a bar and uh, and bought a bunch of bookshelves and everything. Like, Tim can see my books in the background. I got a whole bunch of uh, strength and conditioning stuff and, and other general reading. But kind Facts. of too, there's a there's this section is a lot of strength and conditioning stuff. Now a bunch yep. of are laying around other places i've got uh science and principles of strength training here on on the desk new functional training for sport by Boyle over here but a lot of my books are on softer skill stuff yeah and if you are that pt who is trying to read everything under the sun on movement mechanics programming you're probably going to miss out on what i think is agree with you is actually more essential is the stuff that will make you better at your relationships yeah. And the stuff that's going to be better at the psychology of human behavior, change, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And skills. Fuck it. I mean, most trainers don't know shit about their business side of what they're doing. Yeah. You know, which is why I talk about a guy like Pete Dupuy a lot, because the guy's great at that stuff. 
No doubt. No doubt. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, understand that you should have a philosophy. You should have a methodology to your philosophy. Those are two different things. Um, you know, your philosophy is something you can articulate in a few sentences. This is my philosophy of, of how I approach training. Your methodology is you, you should be able to, you know, you, you should think of it almost as existing in a, in a handbook. You know, this, if this, then that, you know, this is how I start. This is what I do at part two. When I get to the final stage, this happens, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I just think that um, if you've, if you've put a foundation of focus on the soft skills, you're golden, but even then you can be the best soft skill person in the business. If you don't have a philosophy and a methodology to it, it's hard. Um, it's hard to deliver time and time again and get, get consistent results. Let's leave it off on there. Let's tell everybody where to find you. Perfect. Um, quickest, easiest, best way um, at TD Athletes Edge, TD Athletes Edge, all one word, um, on Instagram. I am the same handle on Twitter fairly active on each one and uh especially active in from a response standpoint within dms on instagram so reach out check in i love that kind of stuff um you can head over to our website www.tdathletesedge.com and check out our uh, uh blog there um and different uh things that we're doing over there as well but um yeah, those are the quickest, easiest ways. And um, I am on those. I'm in those places and active on those places because I like to be social. So don't hesitate. Don't be bashful. Check in. I've noticed that you are responsive because I, I, I can't pinpoint the exact point because I've heard your name around for a while. I can't exactly yeah. remember the exactctness of, hey, I've got to follow you and, and plug into what you're doing. And I've noticed that you're following right back and interactive. And it's just, I think you just find people through the either when your stuff is out. Yeah published and, and whatnot. So, but yeah, you've been, you've been super, I was thrilled to have you on. It's been something I've wanted to do for a while. If you listening, uh, if you you're finding my podcast for the first time through Tim, through his media, then what I would say is, you know, I have to earn your interest in listening to anything more of what I've done here. So scroll through, especially the more recent episodes under the rebrand of Lift Free Diet Hard. And you will find me talking to Pete Dupuy, Tony Gentlecore, Mike Isertel, and a lot of other really reputable people in the industry. These are, you know, I, I go out of my way to connect with industry leaders. So I, you bring you interesting and nuanced conversations and not the same old general questions. I think that guys like you tend to get on these podcasts. So I appreciate you taking an hour out of your time. I know you got your kids to go hang out with. This has been a pleasure. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you again. If you're not already following me on Instagram, come on guys, seriously, Andrew Coates Fitness on Instagram. All roads of my stuff lead through there, including the podcast. And uh, thanks and stay tuned. I've got another interview to do very shortly, but uh, I appreciate being here. Andrew, my pleasure. Let's do it again soon. I loved it. Done.